All right, well, my name is Jeff, as she said. I serve as the pastor here. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Those of you here in person, and I always know there's a bunch of you online. So um, I thought I'd start today with a common everyday story. It even made me laugh that I was even going to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it. Uh, yesterday, I got up pretty early in the morning. We had elder prayer. We gathered together and, and just prayed for the church at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday. So I was up at 6. And I noticed on the counter on my way out that the tablet my son had been using the night before was sitting there. I knew he was using it. I knew it was probably low. And I thought I'd do him a service. We don't usually leave it plugged in overnight. So I plugged it in in the morning because I thought I would have some time to charge if he wanted to use it during the day. When I looked and it was at 8%. 8% is pretty low, right? And I was thinking, man, it's useless. it's useless if it doesn't get charged. There's no, it needs energy. So I plugged it in. I went, I did a bunch of things. I came here and prayed. I ran with my wife. We had fun running outside. I read the Bible. I drank some coffee. And then later, later, like later in the morning, I, I saw the tablet was sitting there. And I was, I, oh, that's 100%. I told you this is a really dumb story, but it's my story. So it's 100%. So I unplugged it. And as I was unplugging it, I felt this sense of accomplishment. That's my story this morning. But I said to Kami, I did nothing. I just plugged this tablet in. But I feel like I did something. Have you ever had that? I feel like I did something. I plugged this thing in. And I think, I think it stuck out to me partly. I don't know. It's a dumb thing. But, but, but it stuck out to me because we're talking about the Holy Spirit today. We're going to use a lot of different metaphors as we kind of talk about being filled with the Spirit or filled by the Spirit or the Spirit being poured out over upon us or being clothed in the Spirit or receiving the Spirit. But the Spirit of God, as you read through the Bible, even beginning in Genesis, the Spirit of God is this, is this animating presence, right? Jesus will talk about the Spirit of God like the wind, right? It moves. He moves things. Or the Spirit of God is like the breath of God breathing life into us. We are, we are inanimate, and then God breathes his life into us, and now we are animate. Now we are alive. And I was thinking about that, and I just thought maybe, I mean, maybe it's silly, but we're getting going. Just humor me here. But I'm wondering this morning, if we can press into my story, what would your meter be at this morning? Right? Because you can't fill yourself up, right? You honestly need God to fill you with his life, just like my little tablet sitting on the counter. Are you at 8% this morning? You're at 25%. I think it's good to pause and ask the question. Between you and God, you don't have to say it all, but just... Where are you? Are you 90%? Are you at 100%? You're, you're like overflow. Where are you at? One of the questions I find myself asking people, because I think it's a different kind of question, if I ask you how you're doing, you're going to say, good, okay. That's exactly what you're going to say. But if I ask you, how's your soul doing today? I love asking that question because people pause. Oh, no one asked me that. What do I, I don't know. How is my soul? Oh, no, I got to think. I'm asking you this morning, how's your soul doing today? Where are you at? Where's your life meter at? How's your soul? Do I, just, I want you to sit with that as we go through this morning because we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind you that you can't fill yourself with life, but God can. The breath of God, the Spirit of God, the wind of God can animate your life. And as we dive in this morning, I want to invite you to allow God to fill you with his life. Maybe you need 3% this morning. Maybe you need 50%. I know it's just a silly analogy. Maybe you need 92%, but you know what I mean. There's some kind of need in your life, and, and will you allow God to meet you there? Whether it's healing or forgiveness or mercy or hope or, or purpose or direction or whatever it might be. 
We're talking about the Holy Spirit as we go through the church calendar because it's Pentecost Sunday. If you can see the color at Pentecost is red. It's one Sunday. I wore red because it's Pentecost Sunday. Some of you are way into the church calendar, which I'm enjoying that it's been fun for you. And one of you emailed and said, here's your week to wear something Ohio State. That's my alma mater. Here's your week to wear something Ohio State. But I know some of you hate Ohio State. So as a brother in Christ, I wore NIU. So I thought that's good. I'm wearing red for Pentecost. There were like four guys with red polo shirts. I was like, man, the Holy Spirit's moving. We're celebrating Pentecost in here. But it's Pentecost. I wasn't going to read the text this morning. I found a pretty cool video that says a lot from the Bible Project. I haven't seen everything on the Bible Project, but I like what I've seen. So here's a three-minute video on the Bible Project about Pentecost, and then we'll dive into our text more clearly. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem. So 
they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. Exhilarating. That keeps going. you got to keep watching if you want. It's on the Bible Project. But that gives you a picture of Pentecost. I like that. that we, we become mobile temples. This is what's happening. Now we're all like, as you, as you come alive to Christ, you become your own moving Mount Sinai, and the Spirit of God is poured out on all people. I, I was actually thinking about this. Uh, a lot of times we at the church, for obvious reasons, talk a lot about all these messianic expectations that you find in the Old Testament. Who's the Messiah going to be? When's he going to come? What's he going to do? Who's the, ki- the king? You know, the king of God's people. And then Jesus comes and he surprises us in the ways that he comes to be the Messiah. But then he also overwhelms us with how he fulfills every single promise, every single expectation, and then goes way beyond what we ever dreamed or imagined, more than we would have asked for. And it's interesting if you do read the Bible from a spirit expectation standpoint, not just messianic, but spirit, you also get some of this. There, there was this building expectation. You got the prophet Joel quoted on, in Pentecost. You got, you got Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Sunday, and, and, and then the spirit comes in this profound way on Pentecost Sunday, and it's, and, and it's incredible. I mean, literally, tongues of fire, it's, it's just more than what people would have imagined and, and accomplishes more than we ever hoped or dreamed. So what we're going to do is kind of look at Jesus' preparation for Pentecost. That's the, I'm following through the Book of Common Prayer as we go through the church calendar. And our text this morning is John 14. We're just going to look at a few of the verses. I'll, I'll be, I will be encouraging you. Read all, like start in John 13, read all the way through John 17. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. But we'll be talking about what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. In essence, what he's going to do in John, you know, John 13, he's going to wash, he's going to teach that we're all servants in his kingdom. He's going to wash his disciples' feet. And then in John 14, he's basically going to say, I'm leaving. Uh, it's going to be hard for you. You're going to suffer and be persecuted, but I'm sending someone and you'll be okay. Then John 15, he'll talk about abiding in him abiding in his love, remaining in him. And then John 16, he'll say the same thing again. I'm leaving. It's going to be hard. You're going to suffer and be persecuted, but I'm sending someone who will help. It's kind of, and then John 17, he prays. John 14, then we're going to, we're in verses 8 to 17. I'm going to, I got to say something about these verses, but we're going to focus in on and apply verses 15 to 17 and then 25 to 27 because it's Pentecost Sunday and we're talking about the gift of the Spirit. John 14, verse 8, Philip said, we're kind of picking up in the middle. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and listen to what he says, and we will be satisfied. We know there's nothing greater than God. Show us God. Show us the Father. Everything we need, everything we want, all of our desires will be met. All of our our needs will will be provided for. Everything will be satisfied. We'll be filled. Show us the Father. And then Jesus says, and this is why we're Christians, because Jesus is remarkably central in this story. What does Jesus say? Have I been with you this, all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? Jesus says, and this is well, that's one of the strongest things that he can say about the uniqueness of Jesus. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? And I've already shown him to you. 
This is why I frequently say, if you want to know who God is, you just look at Jesus. Because everything God wants you to know about who he is, he's said in Jesus. He's communicated through Jesus. If you want to know the Father, you meet him through Jesus. You see who he is. You, you learn his character, his heart, through the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, well, don't you, don't you believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. As Christians, we confess God, one God, three persons, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here Jesus is talking about the unique bond, the relationship between the Father and Son that has always been and always will be. Again, it's why John can say in 1 John that God is love because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect love. Jesus says, the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. In other words, we talk about the will of the Father. The will of the Father is perfectly accomplished through the Son. Or you could say everything that the Father wants done, the Son does. Everything that the Father is doing in the world, the Son is doing. Jesus does the work of the Father. And then he says, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Faith plays a major role in this. We'll talk about that, especially as we get to the end. Believe, but if, but if that's crazy, at least, at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Now, I think in, at, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's reminding his disciples, well, I've fed 5,000 with a few loaves and some fish, turned water into wine. <laughs> I raised, I mean, just a few chapters. I raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, you've seen the healing, forgiving presence, the restorative presence. I've exercised demons. I've, I've cast out evil in this world. You've seen it. Believe. I think he would say to us today, we live at a different time in salvation history, he would say, you, you know what I've done on the cross for you. You know that I took your place. You know that I paid for all the sins of the world. You know that I overwhelmed death with my life. You know that I've recycled all the evil thrown onto me into love, mercy, and forgiveness. You've seen this. You know this. Believe. Believe because of what I've done. Then verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, we're going to have to talk about verses 12 to 14 a little bit. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. So we're going to continue, right? We're these mobile temples. We're, we're, the, the church was kind of founded on Pentecost Sunday, and we continue the kingdom work of Jesus. We are, as the presence of God is in us, we are his presence. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. We are continuing his work in the world. We'll do the same works he's done, but then he says even greater works. We've got to talk about that, don't we? <laughs> greater works, what? Now, why are we able to do greater works? Because, Jesus says, I'm going to be with the Father. We talked about his ascension last week. That's what he's referring to. You can ask, and this is all tied together, you can ask for anything in my name, and Jesus says, I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about these verses. First, uh, Jesus says, we'll do the things he did and we'll do greater things. And I mean, if we were in a small group, it'd be fun to pause and I'd ask you, what do you think the greater things are? And you'd start thinking, well, he fed 5,000 with a few loaves and some fish. I can't do that. And raised Lazarus from the dead, turned water and the wine. Those are pretty great things. 
And maybe even where we sit in salvation history, well, he also reconciled the, reconciled the whole world to God. He, he satisfied God's justice. He revealed God perfectly. He exercised the devil, devil definitively. He died carrying away all the sin of the world, and he rose defeating death forever. Those are pretty great things. I don't know how many greater. So what does he mean? Amen, amen. So what does he mean? Then? Well, again, I like to talk about these things. There's some mystery in that, but... But, but historically, and we read the Bible together in community as the church, that's what we do. Historically, the church has leaned toward the quantitative side of greater rather than qualitative. <laughs> because Jesus' ministry really was limited to Israel. Israel, I've been there, it's not that big. It's, it's amazing how in a few hours you're on the other side of the country. <laughs> So it's not that big of a place. Jesus' ministry was geographically limited. And at this time, I mean, in Acts 1, I, there's about 120 people in this prayer meeting when Pentecost falls. That's, I mean, that's it, 120 people. But then after, after the prayer meeting, Peter gets up to preach 3,000 believe. So greater things. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ has spread throughout the world. Crossview is a part of that. We believe in global missions and we support that. That the church has spread, the numbers have grown. That's how the church historically has understood greater things. You might have some questions about that's fine. I like the dialogue, but that's just historically where the church has leaned. But it, it's tied to Jesus going to be with the Father. So again, I think, and as we go through this, the focus is always on Jesus. So even if you get caught up in the greater works and are interested, you need to remember that it's Jesus who is doing these things. One author says, the contrast here of the greater things is not between Jesus' works and then his disciples' works. It's between the works of Jesus that he himself performed during the days of his flesh and the works that he performs now through his disciples in the church after his death and exaltation. I think that's helpful. Even if we see greater, it's, still, it's Jesus. I said last week, we, we still live in the days of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord right now. And then he has this interesting statement, you can ask for anything in my name. And this is tied together with the greater things. And, and what does that mean? I, I've, I know that's been hurtful to people in the past, misunderstanding that. What does that mean that we can ask for anything in his name and he will do it? And this is where I find myself saying this more and more and more as I'm in more roles of teaching. I, even at the men's retreat a few weekends ago that I was teaching at, I, I like to say it this way, mature Christians Hold things in tension. And I was even thinking that's maybe one of the ways we'll be a gift to the watching world and to our neighbors. I think collectively as a people, it's getting harder and harder in modern day Babylon to hold things in tension. Mature Christians hold things in tension. I talk about this all the time when we talk about love. I talk about it as a calibration of grace and truth. If you are going to love somebody, you need to learn how to hold in tension both grace and truth. I talk about it with power. We follow a crucified Messiah. That means with power, you and I as Christians need to hold in tension both authority and vulnerability. Because we've been given authority in Christ, because he's king and he's Lord, but we also are to take up our cross. <laughs> And so we're always holding things in tension. So I come to this passage, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. I hold that intention. One of the things I learned at prayer school years ago, I share it when we do formed, I talk frequently about this, even here on Sunday mornings, the primary purpose of prayer, and I believe this, 
The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want him to do. That, that, that is not the, the primary purpose is not you're not God and you're not in control. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want him to do. It's to be properly formed. Or, if I just use the language of the text this morning, I think I could say the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want him to do, but it's so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. So that's one side of the tension of prayer. You and I are not telling God, commanding God, he's God. So you hold that tension, you understand that, and you want to be like Jesus because there's no one more beautiful. But at the same time, Jesus says, ask for anything, so you should. You should ask for anything. He's encouraging you. He's, he's asked, he says it twice, ask me for anything. Now, it doesn't mean he'll do whatever you think needs to be done. And so we hold the tension. Now, why would he say that? Well, because Jesus is a God who values relationship. And he just wants to meet with you. And if your deepest desire is something that's not good for you, ask, ask. And then Jesus will say, ah, it's not. Jesus is trying to help you to ask for what you would ask for if you knew everything that he knows. That's often what Jesus is doing. So you ask. It's one of the things I say frequently as well. As a pastor, I get really wary whenever anyone says, well, I know I should, I know I should, I know I should. God does not meet you where you should be. He meets you where you are. And if you want something that's not good for you, but that's where you are, well, God will meet you there and let him meet you there. Let him minister to you. Let him, you're not going to change yourself. You're not going to fill yourself with life. That's God's work. And so we hold this tension. We know on one hand that we're not telling God what to do, and he doesn't have to do everything we say. But we know on the other hand that this God has invited us to ask for anything, so we do, because prayer matters. And then we trust God. You understand? That's a a tension of being a mature Christian. And of course, again, that's I think part of what he's getting at when he says, praying in my name. I know this is obvious, but it's not like praying in the name of Jesus. It's a magical incantation that you've stamped and now God has to do. I said in your name, you got to do it. That's not how this works, right? He, He means in my character, according to the will of the Father. And as you learn, as you become more and more like Jesus, we talk about this when Maddie was talking about with the spiritual disciplines, as you practice these disciplines, you train in the way of Christ's likeness, then what happens is the Spirit changes you and you begin to want what God wants. And then he just says yes to all your prayers because <laughs> you're so in line, you're in step with the Spirit of God, Right? All right, well, let's hone into our main section, verses 15 to 17 and 25 to 27. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. I'll, I'll say a little. That's a quick thing from Jesus. I'll give a little context. And then he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. We'll talk about that Greek word paraclete. Advocate. Jesus is saying, I'm an advocate. And he'll send another advocate who will never leave you. Again, if you were with us last week, we talked about the ascension. Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And he really is, but he's really with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit as part of the trinity right one god three persons but we experience the father and the son through the spirit i will send you another advocate who will never leave you he is he is the holy spirit as a person he is the holy spirit who leads into all truth and i'll tell you what i think he really means when he says all truth there the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him But you know him because he lives with you now. He's talking to his disciples before Pentecost. He lives with you now, and he will be 
and, and later he will be in you. And again, I think he's setting them up for Pentecost. Now, we live after Pentecost, but I, I do like to say this. If, if you're newer to church, if you're exploring Christianity, it's one of the things as we talk about, because it gets interesting, right? we'll talk about the metaphors that these authors use as they talk about these experiences we have of God and of the Holy Spirit. It gets interesting to talk about. But as Christians, we would say, well, well our, our, our relationship with God really begins as we trust Jesus. That's what faith is, is trust. We put our hope, our faith, our trust in Jesus. We become aware of our own failures, our own sin, our own brokenness, and we know we can't fix it on our own. And so we put our trust in Jesus that, that his death on the cross is sufficient for our sins, that we're forgiven. We put our trust in Jesus, and then we believe that's one thing, if you're not a Christian this morning, it's one of the things that we believe. If you get to that place where you can say, I, I think I do believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I believe that. I believe Jesus is Lord of all. I, I think I can say that. Well, in that moment, and we, we believe, theologically speaking, when you have that honest expression of faith, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. That's when it happens. And you become, with the video, it's a mobile temple of the empowering, animating personal presence of the Almighty God, <laughs> which I hope blows your mind a little bit because that's pretty cool. That's what Jesus is talking about here, Spirit of God living within us. So let's talk a little bit about this. I, I want to say something about this idea because it might strike you as odd. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. What's he getting at there? I, I like to talk about this. The primary metaphor that Jesus really gives us for understanding our relationship with him is what the Bible calls a covenant. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Testament, the New Covenant. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Covenant, so now we get a new covenant. Uh, and every covenant in the Bible, you've heard me say this before, it's part of why we hold tensions. Every covenant in the Bible has two major pieces. There are promises and there are obligations. Or one of the ways I like to talk about it is there are gifts and there are demands. But one of the things that makes this such a beautiful good news gospel message of grace to those who believe in Christ, why we, why we don't support works righteousness, we believe it's all gift and grace, is because in these covenant relationships that God makes with humanity, the promise always comes before the obligation. Or the gift always comes before the demand, which means we don't do things to receive the promise or the gift. Jesus freely gives, and if we choose to receive it, if we choose to believe the promise is true, we then obey him because we know it's for our good. It's one of the reasons I say sometimes that the kingdom of God is a get-to, not a got-to ethic. You don't, you don't got to do things to get what you think you need from God. No, God wants to freely give it. And then you get to obey out of gratitude for what you've already been given. Because you learn that Jesus is amazing, and the more you obey him, the more meaning and purpose will fill your life because he actually knows what it means to be truly human. In all these other places we run to try to be human, you know, Jesus knows. And so, so you love him, and out of that love, you obey him because it just makes sense in this covenant relationship with God. And then he talks about the paraclete. It's a Greek word. It literally means the one called alongside. So depending on your English translation, you may see advocate. You may see the helper, the counselor, the comforter, all these trying to find it. How do you define this word? One of the commentaries I was reading, the author really liked the encourager, the, the, the strengthener. And, and then he, he ended with, he, he was talking with his family, and he ended with the true friend. 
Jesus says, I'm going to send the true friend to you. Maybe that's the way you think about the Holy Spirit, the advocate this morning. He is your truest friend. What does it mean that he is the advocate? Well, he's the third person of the Trinity. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is fully God with the Father and the Son. We can say the Holy Spirit is God's own personal life animating, empowering presence. That's who he is. And it may even be helpful to think about the Holy Spirit in contrast to, I don't know that the Bible uses this phrase exactly, but it's a part of the story of what we could call the unholy spirit, right? The Bible names these dark forces or or, or spirits in the world, these demons, and the leader of the demons is, is Satan, the devil, and that word literally means the accuser, right? So there's an unholy spirit. That can actually be very energizing. You get all worked up with hate. Sometimes you can confuse the unholy spirit with the Holy Spirit. There's an unholy spirit who is the spirit of blame and accusation. The spirit of scapegoat. I mean, scapegoat is the unholy spirit. Now think of that versus the, the spirit of advocacy who's the Holy Spirit. Because the spirit of advocacy, he's with you. He's for you. He's in your corner. He's strengthening you. He's not accusing you. He's defending you. He, in the midst of whatever you're going through, the Holy Spirit is saying, you're, you're going to make it. I'm going to provide what you need. I'm going to heal where you're broken. You're, you're going to make it. I'm going to help you. I'm not, the, I'm not the, that awful voice in your head that is accusing you with lies. No, no, he's, he's the, I'm here with you. You're loved by God. Remember what Jesus did on the cross for you. Remember how valuable you are. He's the advocate, the the other advocate, the truest friend. That's the Holy Spirit. All right, and then our final three verses, 25 to 27. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things. Again, read all of 13 to 17. There's way more. I'm just for Pentecost Sunday. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, right before the ascension. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, I love this, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So again, there's all these deep connections between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Maybe we should pause there for a second because you and I all want peace. If I asked for a show of hands, how many of you want peace and purpose in your life? You would all raise your hands. You all want peace, but maybe here's another moment to pause. Again, this is why I think solitude becomes so important. Another moment to pause, to think, to be quiet before God and and to ask yourself, I know I want peace. Where am I looking for peace right now? Because there are so many voices in this world that are promising you peace, promising you peace, promising you peace, and they will never deliver. And you think, well, one more day, just a little bit more, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, and then I'll have peace. And every day is the same. You're never going to get there. Jesus is the only one who can give you this peace. That's why we run to Jesus. Maybe it's a time to step back and just honestly ask, do I think streaming endless hours of video is going to give me peace? Do I think working until my fingers fall off is going to give me peace? What do you think is going to give you peace? And then confess it and say, okay, Jesus, I just want your gift of peace. 
I don't deserve it. I can't, I can't fill myself with life. Only you can do it. I want this gift of grace, this gift of peace. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and give me this peace. In fact, if you keep reading through John and you get into chapter 15, it's also, I thought it was interesting just studying this. Jesus says he's going to give us peace. He says he's going to give us love. If we remain in his love, abide in his love, he's going to give us joy. He's going to fill us with joy, love, joy, and peace. It got me thinking of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. What happens, if I can say it this way, if you understand, what happens when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Love happens, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, that's what happens. Jesus is telling us, this is what's going to happen when the Spirit falls upon you. All right, well, let's talk then about experiencing God. Again, I think I said this at the beginning, but, but really the primary way we experience God today is through the Holy Spirit. The presence, the personal presence of God poured out on the world. The, the Bible has a lot of different ways of talking about it. Again, they, they're, they're almost like, well, how do I describe this spiritual, supernatural experience of encountering this animating, loving, personal, empowering presence of the unseen, infinite God of all creation? So the authors in the New Testament will say things like, you can be baptized with the Spirit or clothed with the Spirit or the Spirit can come upon you or it can fall upon you or He can be poured out on people or, or you can receive the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit or maybe you'll be filled by the Spirit or you'll be full of the Spirit or you'll keep in step with the Spirit. All, how do you talk about these experiences? And I want to say this because what I really want to do is, inc- I mean, where we're going to go with this is I, wanna, I got a story from our church family from the past 10 days and I want to encourage you, I told you, the, I want to invite you to allow God to move. I want to encourage you to open your heart up to experience God. I'm going to pray at the end that you would be, be willing to, to whatever, be, receive the Spirit or, or be full of the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, that you could be clothed in the Spirit. But I understand that even as I say that, I know that your past is going to impact what you think I'm saying, right? This is why I often meet one-on-one. I love to do this. I still have some time. Some of you are like, I probably, you probably don't have time to ever this. I have some time before the sabbatical. Got two more weeks. But, but I love to ask people one-on-one. I love to, tell me, if we were one-on-one instead of a big group, tell me about your, spirit, your, your, your background. And some of you would say, like me, you know what? I grew up, well, some of you might say you didn't grow up in church at all, and spiritual stuff is all new. Or you learned other stuff that wasn't helpful and you're trying to unlearn it. Or you might say, like me, I grew up in a church, but I don't know that the Spirit was moving at all. (laughs) Uh, There was no fresh wind blowing through our Sunday morning gatherings. I don't know of a lot of stories of transformation or life-changing testimonies. And if you're like me and that was your background, then there's a lot of you that says, I'm thirsty for more of the eternal waters of the Spirit of God. That's some of my story. I'm thirsty for more. I grew up, and I I mean, God has met me. That's why I'm a pastor along the way. But but growing up, I I did not have much of an imagination for the Spirit because I grew up in a, a community. I didn't see the Spirit moving. But others of you are farther on the other extreme where you're like, oh, man, and, I've, and I know your stories. I've heard them. I mean, it wasn't just that the Spirit was moving. It got weird, Jeff. Weird. 
And I don't want weird again. It was super awkward. I want none of that. So can we at least maybe this morning agree that we want more than nothing, but we also don't really want weird, right? Maybe there's a place, a sweet spot somewhere in the middle where God is moving because it's, it's an animating it's an animating energy of God empowering us. But also, it's not weird. It's actually beautiful. God is doing things that maybe we didn't even know to ask for, maybe pretty incredible things. But it's not weird. It's beautiful. And, and for the sake of this morning, and just for time, let me just say this. When I mean weird this morning, let's just use Pentecost as some kind of metaphor. When I say weird this morning, I mean expecting Pentecost to happen every single day. That's when I think things start to get a little weird. God has done some incredible things that I marvel at. But it doesn't happen every day in my life. I was even thinking, I mean, because really, I think if I were to tell you my story of marrying my wife, I think God was thoroughly involved at points, brought us together. So thankful for that. My journey of awakening to Jesus and going into vocational ministry and even coming to cross you, God was involved with that. And I think I had a pretty profound experience about five or six years ago in my own intimate relationship with God that led me to cross you. But it's been about five or six years. And that's been enough. Honestly, I'm like, I need, I'm still processing that, God. Like, I don't want another big thing because I'm still working through this. I think that tends to be more how God works. You and I should expect and anticipate God's movement, experiencing the Holy Spirit in our life, but not every day, not every hour of every day. That just isn't how he tends to work. I think that's when it gets a little weird, personally. But we also shouldn't be happy with nothing. We got to, God, do something, stir, move in our church, move in our community. In fact, if you, some of you have been asking, what can I pray for you on sabbatical? Two weeks I start my sabbatical. Pray that I have a fresh encounter of the Holy Spirit. Pray that for me. I'll be praying it for you. I'm, I'm praying for you personally, and I'm praying for Crossview, that the Spirit of God would just blow through our church. And we don't tell him what to do, but we receive the gift that he gives us because it's probably going to look a lot like love. It's probably going to feel a lot like joy. We're probably going to walk in peace because these are things that he said he would do. We might become more patient, more self-controlled, more gentle, more kind, more faithful, more generous. I mean, I'm, I'm thirsty for, are you thirsty? I'm thirsty for some of that. God, bring that. So here's my closing story. I, I met with somebody this week. They texted me and said, Jeff, I have a Jesus story. Would you like to hear it? I said, yes. Yes, I want to hear it. I love Jesus stories. And so they came in and they said, you know, this is, I won't give you all the details. The broader story, or the, the more, but it's not my story to tell, but I can give you enough to help you see how the Spirit of God is moving. And even as our sister in Christ was telling me this story, it just reverberated with what I was reading in John 14 this week. So I hope I, hope I make the connections clear enough for you to hear this and maybe spark your imagination. So our friend, our sister in Christ was at work. She works at a place where she's not out front. And so somebody, and it, honestly, we don't know who, because they came to the person at the front of the, of the building that she works in, and they and they gave this person a, an envelope of money to give to our sister. So it might have been one of you. We don't know who did it. But somebody was out. I don't know if they were in their car or at the bank, but they were out driving. It must be somebody who sits with Jesus, who hears his voice, and they heard our sister's name. 
They said our sister's name. And, and, and as, they, as they heard God say our sister's name, they, they felt moved to do something. And so either they were at the bank or they were heading to the bank or the bank was on their... So they went and they got money in a bank envelope and they brought it and they, and they, and they just gave it. They didn't know what else to do. They're, just, they're trying to be obedient and love and they just gave, they show up at the place of employment and give this gift. And it was more than 10 bucks. And so the person at the front of the building brings it back to our sister in Christ and says, hey, somebody just stopped in. They didn't leave their name. I don't know who it was, but here's money. And our, and our sister says, our, and I've heard this story again and again, right? Thumbs through it, very generous, exactly what they needed for a certain unexpected expense, right? God, I hear this all the time as a pastor. God's amazing. But our friend wanted to meet with me and share the story, and this is where it got deeper. Our friend said, you know, Jeff, the money was great. Just, I was in tears. But she said, you know, it it really isn't even about the money. What this act of love and generosity communicated to me is that God is with me in a profound way. And I know her story. Again, I'm not going to tell her story. But she's in a difficult circumstance that is currently unresolved. And it could end up in a variety of different places, one of those places being one of her deepest fears in all of life. And she said, Jeff, I can't control this. I've been trying to control this. I've been praying for exactly what I want in the name of Jesus. But I don't know what's going to happen. And she said, now I'm not worried at all. I thought I needed, I thought I needed for peace. I needed this outcome. And then God moved. I've experienced God. The Holy Spirit has has flooded me with his love. And now I realize it doesn't matter the outcome. I'm going to be fine. It doesn't matter. She said, I'm not afraid anymore. What did Jesus say? You don't need to be troubled or afraid. Her fear by the amazing, miraculous power of God has been transformed into faith. And she is now living with peace. Because God moved. So this is how I want to end. I want to end by, if if you'll let me, I want to end... By praying over us to be open to new experiences of the Holy Spirit. So for some of you, that means you've been, maybe you grew up in a home where it was just very sterile, all wilderness, no wind. I'm going to pray that maybe you, would, maybe you would open a window so the breeze can blow through your door, right? Let the, let the breath of God blow into your house and stir things up a little. Be open to new experiences. For others of you, I'm not, well, maybe it won't be weird. Maybe it'll just be beautiful. <laughs> maybe it'll just be really good. Be open. Jesus says, it's good for you. I'm sending another advocate, your truest friend. He's with you. He's for you. He's, he's advocating for you. He loves you. You can trust him. So if you will, if you, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes. And I even want to start this prayer, I want to, as you're closing your eyes, I just want to, one of the things that I forgot to say that, that our sister in Christ said to me as we were meeting, she was talking about first the money, but then just this, this gift of God's patience and peace and presence in her life. She said to me three times, I don't deserve this, Jeff. I don't deserve this. So I want to start there. Yes, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve the God of all creation to flood your life with love and healing and mercy and forgiveness, but that's the good news. (laughs) That's the grace of God. 
So Jesus, we sit here and we just maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe you give us a picture of what it looks like to open our hands, open our hearts, open our minds, open our windows. We want to invite you in. We want to be open, Holy Spirit. We acknowledge there's, we don't deserve this, but it's a gift. We don't have hoops to jump through. It's just given. So what we want to do right now is say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We are open to these new experiences. Now, we aren't going to expect them to happen every minute of every day. Maybe for some of us, it'll happen in the next few minutes as we receive communion. Maybe it'll be later tonight. Maybe it'll be a month from now. Maybe for me, it'll be in two months on sabbatical. Maybe for others of us, it'll be in six months or a year. But we want to at least start asking now and be open at your perfect timing. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Fill us with your life. We ask knowing that it won't be weird. It may be new. It may be different. I mean, maybe it'll be weird by modern-day Babylon terms because we're countercultural. We're a part of an upside-down kingdom. But, but it, won't, it won't be like weird, 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 like a weird. Like it, it'll be beautiful. It'll be good. And so we're giving you permission, Jesus. We're giving you permission, Father, to send you, the Holy Spirit, into our lives to guide us and lead us and to point us on to Jesus. Would Jesus be more and more wonderful, more and more beautiful? Would we remember that the primary ministry of the Spirit of God is to point us to Jesus? That Jesus, when you say you're the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, and then, the, and then you tell us that the Spirit is coming to guide us into all truth, we understand that you are the truth. Jesus is the truth. And that is where we are being guided. So guide us to the Spirit of God. Guide us to Jesus, the Spirit of God. Come upon us and make us new. In your name we pray.